Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Yeah, so welcome everybody in person, online, or maybe you're listening to our podcast channel. Um, I'm Zach Wooten, associate pastor at our church, and we have another digging in conversation. These conversations are ones in which we're engaging our uh, our neighbors, our community members, localish experts, or otherwise interesting people or leaders. And um, today we have someone who's all of those things. Um, with us today is Kristen Buck. You might remember Kristen as one of our uh, uh, children and youth interns who uh, helped to pilot the most recent initiative of our iteration of our intern program. Uh, Kristen is a graduate of Westchester University of Pennsylvania, go Rams, and she was an uh, education major there um, and uh, was a great asset to us, especially in the COVID pandemic. She was with me on Zoom, talking to the youth, trying to keep everybody connected as best we could. And then she decided, she felt called to go to Honduras. Honduras. And she was there for 18 months. And immediately when she came back, went right to the southern border of the U.S. to assist with the migrant crisis. And so we're excited to catch up with Kristen. Um, the way that these conversations typically work is I have a series of questions just to get us started, but I'll definitely open up the floor to other questions and save plenty of time for that. Um, but we're really excited that you're here. We're grateful. We missed you. Um, I don't know if that time went fast or slow for you or if like the sense of time is just way off, but uh, we're really excited you're here. So. Excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about, first, what drew you to missionary work altogether? So when I was a freshman in college, I had a geography class. And my instead of what you would think of geography, of just like quizzes on like where certain countries are or whatever, um, my professor really focused in on the problems in each sector of the world, of like a main problem. Um, and I remember there was one point in Northern Africa, I believe, and they spoke about education. And as an education major, I was like, how cool would it be to like help put a school in Africa? Like how cool would it be to do something? I don't know how to say more without saying more, but um, how could, how cool would that be? Um, and that really sparked something in me. Um, I told my mom this um situation and she was like you should really talk to your aunt who had done the Peace Corps ah. so from freshman year to my senior year I had a full-blown plan um to join the Peace Corps and then classic God had other plans um so I um the Peace Corps was shut down due to the pandemic um and there wasn't any promises of being sent out until January and I graduated in May um, and I just didn't want to wait that long. So I started, um, looking online at different organizations. I was applying, I was talking to Zach a lot <laughs> about, um, different opportunities and where God was calling me and, um, what I should do next. And then I really wanted it to be international. I really wanted to teach and I really wanted it to be faith based. Um, in some Christian organization. And so with the pandemic, that was a hard three things to check off the list, but nonetheless, um, Farm of the Child, which is where I was, um, checked off all the boxes. So nonetheless, that's where I went. <laughs> so I want to get to Farm of the Child and like what that is and what you did, but I want to back up a bit more. Could you tell us a little bit about your faith journey up until that point and um, maybe just some some main highlights of, of what that was like for you. And it was quite an evolution in some ways, right? I'm curious about that. Sure. So um, I started my faith journey um, my sophomore year of college. So I um, come from a household, like we went to church some Sundays and then we kind of slowly migrated into Priesters as we are popularly known. If you are not familiar with Priesters, you are Christmas and Easter. Oh. goers of church um, <laughs> so that's what my family um pretty much was and then my sophomore year of college one of my brother's friends my brother was two years above me at Westchester 
um, invited me to her Bible study that she was starting. Um, and in that there was a whole long process that I won't talk your ears off about, but, um, yeah, just like discovering who God was in the, the living word and going out and buying a Bible for the first time and, um, walking through the aisles of Walmart, trying to figure out what that was. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, just coming to my faith through, um, through and in Westchester University. Were there anything, um, as you look back in your life, I always feel like it's easier to make sense of God's presence in our lives in hindsight more than it is like in the moment. Sometimes we have those experiences, but a lot of times you're making sense of it later. As you look back on your life, even before that geography class, were there things that you felt like God was doing or circumstances you were in that God then used as you were preparing, like preparing you without knowing that you were preparing for this experience? Sure. There was definitely like moments of being pushed outside of my comfort zone. I have two older brothers, so you're naturally pushed outside <laughs> your comfort zone every day. Um, but yeah, like I was a Girl Scout through 12th grade, you know, like you always do volunteer work. You always do, um, yeah, just different charity work. And that's something I was involved in through middle school, high school. There's definitely just, as some may call them mustard seeds, um, <laughs> being sprinkled about definitely my life. Um, Ironically, I know a lot of people, uh, especially my age, don't have this experience, but um, a lot of my friends were involved in some Christian church. Like I would, I went to different churches growing up after sleepovers or whatever, like where our family's going to church on Sunday, Kristen's welcome to join, or you can pick her up prior to this hour. My parents would always ask me like, do you want to go to the church or do you want to get picked up? Like, and they didn't have a preference either way. Um, so I was exposed to a lot of different churches in that. Um, so God was definitely present. I just didn't quite, I was just a little slow on the uptake sometimes. Um, so it did take till um, sophomore year, but nonetheless, I got here. And so then not only did you become a Christian, but then you were taking these really big steps and risks. And um, I remember you mentioned you were talking about that discernment process you were going through and you took it so seriously. You were so sincere and earnest in your desire to have your life used by God for, for God's glory. And I just think that's um, a really incredible part about you. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering, so we, we send you off, right? We, we bless you. We say, you know, we're praying for you. We're with you. Um, but then we weren't, right? Like we were with you in prayer, but not, not physically. So talk us through the beginnings of going to Farm of the Child and maybe along the way, introduce like what it is, what they do, a little bit more about it, and then some of those early days. Sure. So first, prior to getting to Honduras, I went to Guatemala for two months, and I had Spanish school. So I had one-on-one -on -one instruction, five hours a day, with, it was a lot. Um, your brain really hurt by, especially <laughs> the first week, that was a really big adjustment. Um, but as you got more confident in Spanish and you started to learn more words, it didn't hurt your brain as much, but nonetheless, it was a tough first couple of weeks. Did you have a lot of Spanish training before that? I had zero Spanish, pretty oh, much. Wow. I, like, I knew like, hola, me llamo, Kristen, like, there was, there was, there was nothing. Um, but you know, God equips the call. He doesn't call the equipped. So I really took that one to heart, prayed with that a lot. Um, prayed for the gift of tongues every single morning didn't quite get there but that's a bummer um but yeah so I got to farm of the child um the pandemic was still in full swing um in Honduras at that point so we were fully masked um and I so there's um so I lived on a 13 acre lot um it's fenced in there at that time there was I believe 22 children there and then there was the missionary house um, which is where me and my fellow class lived. Um, I also went down with the family. So they got a separate house since they had their own children and obviously didn't want to live amongst us. Um, but yeah, so it was so exciting. Like the kids, like you pulled up in this car and you get out and they have these signs like Bienvenidos Christi and like, <laughs> welcome Kristen. Um, and to each one of us and they're decorated and, 
um the oldest girls made us all donuts and like they had jamaica juice and that was like our welcome party as we just got off um the bus and then you had to immediately like stand up introduce yourself say where you were from i'm like thank goodness we went to this language school because i couldn't have introduced <laughs> myself to this extent prior um but yeah it was scary and good and um once we first got there we only were allowed wi-fi for two hours out of our week and that was only allowed it on sundays um so it was just like all your comforts of like who you want to talk to the most because you are so far removed from home like you couldn't and so you really just had to bond with the people that you were there with and like lean on each other lean on your community um and yeah pray through it read a read a lot of books um when you don't have when you only have your phone two hours a week you read a lot more um, <laughs> I learned that um but yeah so that's kind of what my early days looked for um we went through training job discernment meeting the kids practicing your Spanish all prior to the school year starting their school year is February to November compared to ours, um, because rainy season, you have to cross bridges um, that are flooded. So they don't have school during rainy season compared to us ha not having school because it's so hot outside. Um, so that's kind of something different. So school didn't start till February and I got there um, in October. So you're getting trained, you're here in this new place with no Wi-Fi except for a limited Wi-Fi. And then what were your day-to-day -day responsibilities? Were they pretty consistent throughout or did it change over time? I'm wondering more like just paint a picture of what life was like a little bit further. Yeah. So I would, when we first got there, it was a lot of just training. It was intensive training. Um, the children, sorry, also, if you guys need to step out, if you need to mute me or anything like that, that's fine too. Some of the things that I did see were hard. Um, but majority of the children that I lived with were sexually abused and that's why they were in the home that I was at. So you had to be trained prior to interacting with them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you had meetings with a psychologist, meetings with the social worker, one-on-one -on -one conversations translated in both English and Spanish to make sure you fully understood, um, how e not each kid's story because they tried not to share every kid's story. It's not necessarily our business but an idea of what happened in like the proper ways to um communicate and connect with these children and things that you need to be careful of and like look out for so in the beginning stages um it started with like those meetings and you weren't allowed to be one-on-one -on -one with the kids you had to be with someone at all times you had to be with their house tia or um another missionary who was there the year prior um and then you kind of like graduated slowly but surely like you had to be with one other missionary and then you were finally allowed to start taking the kids on your own um so that's the beginning stages and then come February time frame my life changed completely because school started so my whole plan was I was supposed to be the special education teacher and I was like sure great like I studied this in college um and then <laughs> um reality, reality hit yeah <laughs> so I um the day before school started because that's how this works around here um I was told I was going to be the sixth grade math teacher <laughs> and I was like oh, goody sure <laughs> um I know how to say denominator in Spanish um I know how to say divide multiply sure in these huge numbers yeah I got this um, and I have 24 hours before I walk into that classroom and that was horrifying um, for so many reasons <laughs> but and they had two hours of math a day so I was going to be the sixth grade and the fifth grade and they both had two hours a day of math and I was like oh no <laughs> I'm like remember when you said you don't call the equipped but like you should really consider that one because <laughs> I was so intimidated um so my day-to-day -day looked like we woke up at, I woke up at five, roughly. Um, we had to be in the church at 5.45 for morning prayer with all the kids, all the house tias, all the missionaries in the house, in the church. And then you went back to your house um, or you went straight to the school if you were a teacher. 
um, ate breakfast, got your life together, kind of, and then morning assembly and the gate opened at seven. So all grades, kindergarten through ninth grade, um, flooded our gates and they had their morning assembly. They did their little chants, their school song. It, for how different it was, it was so normal. You know, they did their pledge, like everything that you would see here. Um, and then you walked them to their aulas, which is what they called their classrooms, which were just like pavilions. So we didn't have any Wi-Fi or electricity in our classrooms. They were just outside pavilions and you had a whiteboard, which also made the Spanish part a lot more difficult because I didn't have any wiggle room of like, watch this video real quick as I like try to figure something out. <laughs> like there was nothing. There's no <laughs> cushioning. Um, yeah. And then I had 15 um, sixth graders just like looking up at me like, you're the teacher. <laughs> like, what do we do now? And I'm like, oh, dear. Um, so that and then um, school went till 1245. Um, they didn't have like a lunchroom or anything like that. They couldn't provide lunch for the kids. So kids went home for that. Um, so they were seven to 1245. And then I would go back to the missionary house or another house and I would eat lunch starting at one. We'd be done um, lunch probably by 1.32. And then my afternoon would be booked with a million different options of things. Like certain days you would have time in the compo with the kids, which is just the big soccer field. And you were in charge of taking all the girls or all the boys and giving the house parents a break. You could help with tutoring, help with homework especially English homework. The kids loved asking you for English homework help because they're like, you know English. I was like, I know English. I can do this. This is what I feel confident in. Like I could help out with this stuff. Um, you would have, and then by, um, you have an evening spiritual event, normally at five o'clock, be back in the church with all the kids. And then um, by that point, um, you could be cooking dinner, one of your friends cooking dinner. Um, and if I wasn't, you could often find me out. We did live front beachfront property, which was a little bit spoiled. Um, but we had to get the gate because you can't just go out there by yourself. But you could take kids out swimming. You could go out swimming, watch the sunset, like kind of wind back down, have dinner, take a cold, cold shower after that. And you were your head hit the pillow and you, I never once had a sleepless night uh, <laughs> my head hit the pillow and I was exhausted every single day yeah. for the time I was there wow <laughs> what were so that's the day-to-day -day, the routine <laughs> whenever you have an experience like this it, it's transformative it changes you, you you carry a lot with you from then on I'm wondering though you're just a, a bit removed from it what are some of the things um memories stories that you know you'll carry with you Sure. So once the sixth grade teacher finally came, I did move to special education and I was much happier um, to clarify. But one of my students, she's like near and dear to my heart. Um, it, so when I was home on vacation, as I spoke with you guys, um, I bought her like three coloring books, a pack of markers and a pack of crayons. Um, and gave it to her on the, on the last day of school, like right before I left. I walked over to her house because I didn't want all the other kids to know or anything like that. I walked over to her house because um, children from the village come in. Um, and I walk up to her mom and I gave her her, I was like, hey, like I have a gift for her. Like, is that okay? Is she behaving? Like my left gave it to her. I like, yeah, go for it. So she waddles on over. She's in second grade. She's adorable. Um, and opens up these crowns, markers, and three coloring books, you know, like Mickey Mouse, Princess, and like Frozen, um, and Scream. And it was just like, like, she's like, I don't have any markers. Like, she would ask me to do art every single day. I'm like, we are in math class. Like, you cannot be doing art. But I was like, now you can do art at home. And she was just thrilled. Um, and her mom just like invited me in. We sat down she made me dinner. She went to the pulperia, which is like their convenience store. Like closest thing we would have is like a 7-Eleven kind of thing, like just like chips and soda or something like that to buy. And was just like, come sit down, sit on this hammock. Like, let me make you this. Let me do this. And I was like, in the United States, you would, if a teacher like one walked into your house, you'd be like, what are you doing? 
And two, like you wouldn't invite them in and run to the store to um, welcome them into your home. But I was like, literally, I can just walk around this village and people were, you can't like walk from point A to point B without being stopped and like asked to sit down, have a conversation, have, um, yeah, just like a real relationship like that with just random people. And I would just like go sit down, hang out like for an hour and hear about their life, talk about everything and nothing. Um, and yeah, that hospitality that really came with that um, was so, so special. And then to come back, even for that little break you had in the middle-ish, yeah. over it, uh, was that sort of jarring to come back and then have things be different? What, what was that experience like of coming back briefly and then you know, re-entering that community? Yeah, it was or re-entering when I went back from vacation or yeah just, just to st- start off just the the vacation time to come back for just a short period and then to return to Honduras mm-hmm. what was that experience like um I think I had a very different mindset when I was home on vacation just because with the knowledge that I was going back where I was like oh like yep I'm gonna treat myself to some Chick-fil-A today because <laughs> I will be back in Honduras in less than a month and I need this right now <laughs> um, but yeah and then going back to Honduras um you don't think because there's missionaries that go there and are there every year so you um and where I was they did a very good job of just being like listen we love the missionaries and you guys are so important but like you're not needed for the mission like this mission will still continue without you and to have faith in that and that's really um what keeps me going even coming back from Honduras that these kids are in great hands and I trust these people with the world. Um, but when I went back, I remember going back to like the first day of school and this little girl, her name's Juliana. She's cute as a button, as you guys could all imagine, um, like runs up to me and they just like give you the biggest hugs. And you're like, I didn't even think you would have like really recognized that I was gone. Um, all the missionaries like stagger their vacation. So it's not like everyone's gone, everyone's here. Um, and so I got a message from one of my friends down there and he was like, okay, so you were gone for a week and your little friend, Rebecca, um, she went the week knowing that you were on vacation and now you have three more weeks. And she asked me every single day, where is her first day? And he was like, we are not doing this every day for three more weeks. Like, I don't know what compromise we have to come to, but um, just realizing like you made a bigger impact than you thought you did. Um, and it took going away and coming back to realize like, oh my gosh, these kids remember you. Oh my gosh. Like the kids asked about you while you were gone. And like, that feels a little good um, and just makes your relationships valid with them. And you're so committed to that when you're there because it's that's your whole purpose. And right. I'm, I'm wondering too, you had this really intense period before you left the first time discerning what is God's will for me right now, but it didn't end there because then you had to decide again and discern again, is God calling me to stay mm-hmm. or go back? Because you, can, you could have re-upped more, right? Right. A lot of people struggle with figuring out how do I, how do I discern God's will in my life? What would you say to them about, about your process and that that's still ongoing, right? Because now you're back. I'm sure people are asking you again and again, what's next? What's next? So you're kind of an expert at discerning next steps in that season of transition. What what would you tell them? Um, So what I did, which sounds so cliche, is I made my pros cons list and I naturally made it without thinking of anything and then because I'm a teacher and this is how we work I had my colored highlighters and I said which of these reasons and I went through our worldly reasons and highlighted them one color and then I went through and highlighted like godly reasons in another color um to go home or to stay and originally I did decide to stay that was the original discernment I was like this is I like can't leave now. Like I'm finally like in this, I have these amazing relationships with the kids. I don't want to leave right now. Um, And of course I knew I was going to be happy wherever I ended up because while I was home on vacation, I was like, I'm totally coming home. I miss being home. I miss my family. I miss my friends. I miss speaking English and everyone understanding me in the room and like how simple that was. Um, 
And so I just like had this disconnect. And so I started praying about it again. And I just like felt this tug of like, Kristen, you thought you were saying, but like, I wasn't sleeping. Something just like wasn't right. So I went to my coordinator, Molly, and I just like, can we talk? Like, I was like, not as my coordinator, but just like as my friend, like I need someone to talk through with this. Um, And ultimately we came down to the decision of, I think it's just like best that I go home and love these kids from afar and pray for them every day. Um, And yeah, that I was a missionary at home is just as valid as a missionary in Honduras. Yeah. So you, you're praying, you're making lists, you're then like discerning (laughs) and deciding, like categorizing Mm -hmm. um, and trying to engage community and trusted friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you said goodbye. And I said goodbye. And you came back. And you went right to the southern border. How did that come about? So one of my my dearest friend who was down there with me, Megan, I met her in Guatemala on the road to Honduras. Um, so she was always fascinated with the border. Um, she always had a really extreme passion for it prior to everything hitting the fan with um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So she was always passionate about it. And she had been messaging Annunciation House, uh, which is the program we went to um, prior. And they normally only take year-long missionaries, but they were so desperate with how hectic everything was um, that they were like, we're taking short-term too. So if you guys know Spanish, come on over. And she was like, if you're not staying here, want to go to the border with me? And I said, sure. <laughs> no research, nothing, nothing. My mom loved this, guys. <laughs> and she, we were like, oh, like let's, let's go. Um, so we booked our tickets, like San Pedro Sula to Houston, Texas, to El Paso, Texas. Um, and so that really just came about through friendship um, and invitation to go. Um, and I couldn't be more grateful that I went when I did. An invitation and a willingness to say yes. Yes, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> something called that. Yeah. yeah. So what what was what did you do there? And talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um Annunciation House. I still get the text messages today because I refuse to um get off the group chat. But Annunciation House is has four houses in total. One is the Annunciation House, the original. And I was at Casa Vides, so which is House of Life for non-Spanish speakers um so I was staying in there so what happens is ICE releases um x amount of people a day from camp and they don't have anywhere to go so um everyone in ICE that gets released goes to my boss which he's just a volunteer like he has no governmental nothing like he's just a Christian volunteer um and he gets the list of sometimes a thousand plus names who are getting released today. And he places them at one of the houses in his free time. He's also like 80 years old, by the way, um, like never going to retire. Um, <laughs> his name's Mr. Garcia. He, if you have, if you've watched the news and seen the border, you've seen him. Um, he's the one who gets interviewed uh, the most. So he was my boss while I was down there. Um, didn't see much of him because believe it or not, he was pretty busy. Um, cause we, I was down there from, what was it? So December 3rd through December 19th. So this was prior to, um, T42 being delayed, um, more. So it was when all the people were on the street, everyone was knocking at your door. Um, and I would say the most, some of the most jarring things was obviously when women and children came through and like these little itty bitties are traumatized from the things they saw, the things that they've um, been through. And then how kind they were to you. They're like, you are an angel from God. And I'm like, I literally like am not, I'm literally here for two weeks. Like I I know nothing, Um, but pretty much they get off the bus from ice. Ice drops them off there. Um, We would averagely get about 30 people a day um that lived in a house with us so it's like an actual house like it's not like some hotel or anything like that so it was pretty little crammed at times um but you would sit down 
you would um, they would have their paperwork and it's all in English, which makes zero sense. Um, and they have no idea what any of it means, but you document all of them so that Casa Vitas has their documentation. And then all of them, most of the time, have a sponsor. And so someone in the States who they are trying to go to, get in contact with um, and live with, hopefully, um, get a job through, whatever. So you would then, there was this paper that you had to read um, and you would call their sponsor. And there was one man, Alfonso. I will never forget him. He is, was 42. His wife had crossed prior and she was here for five months and she was living in Alabama. And I'm doing all this documentation and you always have to tell them like, I have to read this to your sponsor first. And then you can talk to them, but you can't pull the phone out of my hand. Like, I know you must be so excited. Like you're finally out of detention. Um, and he, his, and it's the worst when like their sponsor doesn't answer the phone. That's like the most heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. They're like, seriously, like they're finally out They're free, and they're like, I'm still stuck. Mm-hmm. But Alfonso, his first two phone calls, no one answered. But the third phone call, I finally had like a lull in documenting all these people. He goes, please, can you call my wife again? I was like, absolutely. I can call your wife again. And she answers and he balls like on the spot. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, he loves her so much and just like wants to be with his wife. Like such like a natural, easy thing to want. Um, he hasn't seen his wife in five months and didn't know when he was getting out of detainment and like didn't know how to get in contact with her. So he's like, she answered like with like just bawling and like all of his buddies that were in detention with him like patting him on the back like buddy it's okay like you got this like you're going to her and he's like I'm like do you have any kids or anything he's like I have a dog (laughs) Um, but yeah he was just like so overjoyed um with just hearing that I was talking to his wife um and then I have to be like the jerk (laughs) who's like I need to tell them all the instructions on how to buy a ticket for you to get to them and like how this process goes. And then you can talk to them <laughs> because they aren't going to listen to me. <laughs> so I just like can't do the phone. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of what I was doing on the day to day in El Paso. Yeah. I mean, I just, there's so much about that that strikes me as a really beautiful act of witnessing. And so much of our Christian faith is about bearing witness to God at work in our midst and being open to God using us. And then here you are, like seeing this, like being a mediator of God's grace in this moment, right? People calling you an angel. You feel uncomfortable. You're, I'm not an angel, but you're, you are, like God's using you in that way. Um, it's really powerful and beautiful. And so I'm going to open the floor uh, to questions soon, and we'll go back and forth between our, our Zoom folks and our folks in person, make sure we're not missing anybody. Um, but I have one more question for you. Um, looking back on that experience and the one prior in Honduras. Where did you see or what did you learn about God, about divinity, how God works, and humanity, about people, God's beloved? Um, so Megan and I, this one breaks my heart, so I'll warn you for that, um, learned a lot about the gospel while in El Paso specifically. I'll answer for El Paso and then for Honduras. Um, but th- we were a shelter, obviously but we could only take the people who came on the list who, um, because we couldn't just let anybody in. These are the people that like, that were background checked to make sure for safety, we had to keep within codes. There were rules and guidelines. And the reason Annunciation House works is because there are rules and guidelines, even though those rules and guidelines break my heart. But nonetheless, obviously, if you watch the news, there were plenty of people still on the street. So there'd be pregnant women knocking on the door, asking for a place to stay. And you had to say no. And I was just like, I'm literally living the gospel and I'm not the person that I want to be in the gospel. Like I literally just like potentially declined Mary from a place to stay at the end. Like I just told her to go like sleep in the barn tonight and out on the street, like as this pregnant woman um, who's just looking for a bed. Um, So that was just like, I like there'd be times like I'd open a door and it was like a pregnant woman standing there and I would look at someone. I was like, I can't be the one to say no today. Like I can't, like I need someone else to pull, mm-hmm. <laughs> pull this. Um, and luckily if you did call Ruben and you said like, Hey, like there's a pregnant woman, 
like he would do everything in his power to find her a bed. Um, sadly, men didn't always get that luxury, but pregnant women, and if they had like little kids with them, um, he really bent over backwards, like often like bought hotel rooms for full price at huge hotels that were already packed um, just to make sure that they had a place to stay that night. But yeah, that was like the humanity of the gospel. And it's just like something you never thought you would relate to. Like I would never do like who wouldn't have just let Mary in. I was like, wow, like that was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, And then in Honduras, the humanity of it was yes, majority of the kids that I was living with were sexually abused. Um, but in our school, there was kids from the villages that were from outside. Um, and some of them came from still horrific family situations, horrific poverty, and some of them also like abused. And you know this as their teacher and you report it and you do everything you can, but I mean, the system in the U.S. isn't great. So like, as you could imagine, the system in a third world country is really not great. Um, And so then you're sitting here like these kids are like, will you be my mom? Will you take me home? Can you like do this? And you once again have to like look these kids in the eye and say no. Um, And be like, no, like I have to send you home to this terrible situation instead. And the humanity in that made it really really hard um where it's like online or when you're hearing about mission you're like oh you're rolling a soccer ball to this cute little kid who's which I did a million times and I loved it they are so so cute um but also like the brokenness like yes um we were fighting the good fight and I will forever believe that but there was just so overwhelmingly amount of work to be done um and that part could be really daunting and that took a lot of prayer to work through yeah, thank you. All right, we'll open it up. We'll start uh, people here in person. Feel free to just chime in, and then we'll go over to Zoom next. Any questions? So this might be like, please don't ask me this question, but like, so what's next? <laughs> yeah, I do get that. <laughs> I do get that one. Um, so I told myself after El Paso, I went to the library, and I picked a happy young adult book. Yes, because I just need it. Yeah. I was like, I need like a high school romance, something like I need like yeah. something uplifting. I need to watch a Hallmark movie like Christmas, um, because although like yes, the reality that the world comes is very very broken. It's like I need some like I need to take a hot second yeah. and be okay, um, and read just like a happy book. Um, so that's what I did, and then I took a minute to discern what exactly. Um, I was going to do. I told myself I got home on the 20th and I said, by the new year, that's when I'll start looking at jobs, thinking about what I'm going to do, but I need to take a minute. Um, and so I did some discernment and I decided um, I started applying for teaching jobs and continuing teaching. And I will stay with teaching till June, till the end of the school year and kind of rediscern. Um I'd be lying if I said that I was 100% confident that I will be a teacher for the rest of my life. Um, just after El Paso, after Honduras, just working with the homeless. Um, I did some mission in Kensington, Philadelphia prior to um, doing Honduras just throughout college. Um, and working with that population does very much so interest me. Um, but as of right now, I just tr- signed on to um, Invo um, Healthcare, which they place teacher, special ed teachers um, in the school district of Philadelphia. So I am going through all my clearances right now. So hopefully I'll be teaching probably learning support um, anywhere from K to eight. Don't know at which school yet, but hopefully that's what's next step temporary question mark forever don't know um but that's what I'm doing right now until God decides to inform me on what his plans are <laughs> which I think we're all waiting for sometimes um someone on zoom no pressure if you don't have a question it's okay we'll go back because we want to forget about you all right we'll come back to zoom and we'll go to Ryan 
I'm a little obsessed with the the idea of like <clears throat> like focusing on what's important in life and like what what you know simplifying life and just really focusing on like what what you need versus the, the wants in life. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like did you experience any like personal transformation of like you know oh I I don't need X Y Z in my life to be fulfilled to be happy when you know when you're over there you really had this you'd add two hours of wi-fi a week so like yeah did you, did you, was there any like transformation or like just that sort of like self-aware moment yeah it was definitely um like the food that you need to say to be alive um <laughs> is not like all the time whole foods um but yeah like there was definitely like I got home, I had an Instagram to keep up with, like while I was over there. And I very intentionally deleted it when I came home. Um, and I made it specifically for mission. And I was like, I do not like need this to stay in contact with people. The people who want to stay in contact with me will have my phone number and they would have asked me for it if they wanted it. Um, so that was definitely like part of the simplicity part. Um, and while I was over there, part of simplicity that we weren't expecting was just diet um and just like the simple foods that we ate and you ate them over and over and over again and it was like yeah in the states like we just have this obsession with the gym and how we look and how we dress and we didn't get that freedom like girls had to wear bath like long shorts I just shop for them in the men's department because the women's department doesn't make them. Um, and yeah, just like the simplicity in clothing, the simplicity in food and the simplicity in technology. Um, we got a movie every Friday as like the missionary house. We had one little projector and we had a bed sheet that we would hang on the wall and we could all sit around and we downloaded a movie onto a laptop from like Netflix. And we would sit there and watch the movie. And like, I couldn't tell you the last time, maybe this is like the Gen Z in me. I couldn't tell you like the last time I watched a movie and like never looked at my phone or like actually was like fully paying attention unless I was in like a movie theater. Um, and I was like every single Friday, like it didn't matter what the movie was. Like I was sitting there like front row if there was one, like attentive, like ready to do it. And just the simplicity in that of like, just having like no Wi-Fi in your house. Like you had to physically leave and go to the office or the library in order to have it. Um, yeah, just made things a lot, a lot more simple, but you were surrounded with people who also did that, which made it a lot easier. It's not like everyone else was on their phone and you're not, which coming back to the States, that's like a lot harder uh, where I'm like having conversations with friends or calling family or Christmas time or whatever. And just like, that's not the norm here. Um, so it's definitely hard to live out the ways to be simple that I was there here. But nonetheless, I definitely try yeah. <laughs> and strive yeah. for it. We could all use a, a kind of like a week of that. Like we, <laughs> yeah. we, we streamed on uh, Apple TV last night for 20 minutes and there were a thousand options and we just couldn't pick one. So we just didn't watch any. Like, and then like you're talking about like, <laughs> we had one movie and we just enjoyed it. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, yeah it rotated um each week it was like someone's chore to like pick the movie and like <laughs> you like we had a wide variety of people living in my house we literally like within seven people we still somehow covered the entire united states of america mm -hmm. so we all had very different upbringing very different paths very different faith journeys mm -hmm. and didn't matter who picked the movie like everyone was there every friday like so excited for the movie um but yeah just like the simplicity and like things being a treat that weren't a treat and viewing like going down and sitting and having a conversation with someone like doing that as like a privilege and a treat and not as like oh I have to go talk to this person or like I have to go to this meeting but it's like no I get to go do this um it was definitely like in my prayers a lot especially at 5 45 morning prayer I'm like I get to go to 5 45 morning prayer <laughs> I don't have to go I get to go um which was sometimes hard <laughs> to get out of bed at that hour um but yeah there is definitely simplicity uh, in all that 
I have a two two part question. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll try to keep it simple. Uh, what can uh, we do as a church or churches do to help support a missionary like you better? And then what can we do as a church to encourage young people to take the dive and um, look into doing mission trips, whether it's short term or long term? Yeah, so the way churches can definitely help. I can only really speak for Annunciation House and um, for Farm of the Child. Those are the ones I'm familiar with. Um, but they're always looking for supplies. Um, often they do Amazon wish lists because we also have a medical clinic part of Farm of the Child. Um, my friend Megan was a nurse, so she was a nurse for three years in the hospital um, prior to going down to Honduras. Um, she worked with a Honduran doctor, but all of our medication pretty much comes from the States. So um, our unprescribed medication that is like, all of the ibuprofen, all of the children's Tylenol, all the fevers, the thermometers, the whatever, the vitamins, they love vitamins there and they need them. So thank goodness they love them. Um, they come from the States. So these are the nurses who work there or the nurses who are missionaries there um, put together these Amazon wish lists, And it's such a blessing to see like how quickly it goes. And people are like, oh my gosh, no, they, the, a kid needs Tylenol, like, and how like immediate of a response that is. Cause like any parent could tell you, like when your kid has a fever, you just run CVS, you get them Tylenol. And it's like, imagine not having that. Um, and we get to provide that. So that's definitely a way of specific form of the child. Um, for Annunciation House, they're always, I mean, like donations is obviously always like the natural answer in prayers. Um, they're always looking for specifically shoes and right now coats because in uh, no matter um, it's hard for me to talk about the Annunciation House on the border without getting saying anything that's slightly political. Um, but when <laughs> they go into detention, they even take their shoelaces and they don't give their shoelaces back. So like people come out and they don't have their shoelaces. Um, so they, they need shoelaces, they need shoes. Um, sometimes they're just in their socks. So they always need shoes. Um, because some people just like lose their shoe because there's nothing to keep it on their foot or someone takes their shoe, whatever. Um, so they're always looking for, um, shoes and, and coats at this time, especially just since it's like so cold. Um, and I have the number of my organizer and all that um, down at Annunciation House and at um, Farm of the Child, um, if anyone wants to be contacted with them specifically or one-on-one. -on -one. That'd be great. You could send us a link and we'll send it out with the recording of this too for everybody. Perfect. So I was saying the church setting folks who share the faith have an understanding of what might how this might happen, how you might be called here to go. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of some of the conversations with friends who may not share the faith, it must seem like crazy, uh, ridiculous that you would be willing to do this and make these sacrifices. Have you had those kinds of conversations? Yes. So um, even with family, I've had those yeah. conversations. Yeah. <laughs> um, like Christmas, I was hearing about how the stock market wasn't doing great and Tesla's not doing well. And I was like, you've got, oh, like, I need to walk away. <laughs> but, um, so I have definitely been told I was crazy. I've thought to myself that I was crazy. So I don't really blame people <laughs> um, for thinking that. Um, and I definitely have to just keep calm because sometimes when you talk about the way that you lived in the simplicity, like our house didn't have windows. It didn't have air conditioning. We, it was hot. It was in Honduras. Um, was it hot there? That's my favorite question. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yes, specifically. Um, but, oh my gosh, I could never do that is like the number one thing. It's like, yes, you could like, actually like majority of the world lives like the way I did. Like not even just like Honduras or that I was in this extremely impoverished um, place. I wasn't in Haiti, um, but majority of the world lived the way that I live. And so humans can do it. Um, so, <laughs> and they are doing it. 
Um, and so I've definitely encountered those conversations and that normally stops when I show pictures with kids and people all start to get it then. Um, I just called one of our, our oldest girl that I saw go out, um, Sadie. She um, starts college on Monday. So she's 18. She aged out of our program. Um, she got into university and she starts college on Monday. And um, she called me today. She's like, I'm so nervous. Like, I don't know what to wear. Like, I never, because um, there's uniforms from kindergarten to 12th grade in all of Honduras. So public, private school, they all have the same uniform. But college, you don't have a uniform. She's like, what do you wear to school? And like, she's like holding up her shirts. I was like, for how like different my world was, that is so normal like such a normal thing, like an 18 year old girl should be worrying about what she should wear on her first day of college. Like that is such like a normal thing that people can connect with. And they're like, yeah, like I get that. Like you have to sometimes go where others won't. And Mrs. Kramer, I think I missed your other half of your question. (laughs) Sorry about that. No, no problem. So I guess uh, the second part of my question is how can we encourage uh, young people, not only in our congregation, but in our community to take the leap of faith to do a mission trip, whether it's a short mission trip or a longer one, like what you committed to. I think it's like the day trips, even in like to Philly that I did in college. Um, I went with a program called Mission Youth um, and just seeing the need. I mean, there's need everywhere you go, the poor are everywhere. Um, the poor in spirit and the poor in physical things. Um, but when you see it and sit down and have a conversation with one of them, um, that's something I've always believed. If like the world sat down and had conversations with one another, we would all understand each other so much more. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just kind of like getting them to do it, like just do it once, just go for a day and go see it. Um, I went down to Kensington during the pandemic once a week. I'm lucky to be in good health. I'm lucky that everyone who lived in my house was in good health and I could take that risk with a mask on um, and just be able to serve the poor when, while other people couldn't for very valid reasons. Um, But in that, like, I came face to face with the poor and created relationships with them. And once a relationship is formed, like, that's when um, I think the true encouragement of it's just not this fantasized idea of like, oh, there's a bunch of children in Honduras living in this children's home. I was like, no, I can name each child that's living in that children's home. And like, I know their story and I know that I played soccer with them and I was throwing them up in the air in the ocean and they were screaming up because the wave was too big or whatever like when you have those real authentic stories and relationships just like when you with you do when you do with Christ um you just naturally like have that drive for more Uh, we've got five minutes left if anybody has any lingering burning questions leave it open for just a bit more I have a I have a comment maybe a couple questions uh if if pressed um it's great to see you it's so good to see you too. And, <laughs> well, and, through the TV. <laughs> and uh, and to have followed you, you, you were terrific in in letting us know what was happening in your life. Uh, sometimes when you get in an, an environment like that, you get so uh, immersed in it that you forget to let other people know what that immersion is about. And you were terrific in that. You are a good writer, so that's you know that goes without saying. But but it was terrific to keep up with you and uh, to have for you to have that sensitivity uh, is commendable. Uh, a, a question about about farm of the child is that a um, direct translation of what people have named that? And do you know yeah. any of the history of why that was? Yeah, so it's called Finca del Niño, um, which is the direct translation of Farm of the Child. So our founders is Vincent and Zulena. Um, so Vincent actually um, went to Villanova 
He was originally at the Naval Academy. Um, Zulena is from Guatemala. Um, the, the first farm of the child was in Guatemala, um, and that was passed over to a church who is now running it um, instead of our founders. And their plan was to go around all of Central America and just opening up farm of the trials everywhere and children's homes where it was really, really needed. Um, so Zulena, um, I've had the privilege of meeting her multiple times. Um, she's come down to visit and she now lives in Long Island with all of her children. Um, she and Vincent lived and raised their children at farm of the child where I was. Um, they lived in one of the houses they took kids into their house and brought them, like, it was crazy. Um, Vincent um, had a plane and he was flying materials back. Um, and his plane crashed into one of the mountains um, that was surrounding us. So there was a big plane crash and him with three men passed away. And among those three men was actually the uh, my next door neighbor's uncle. So it was all just intertwined and interconnected um but yeah they didn't know for like six days that the plane went down or anything like that um they were um, bringing supplies down to build the church on the site for the kids and the plane went down um due to storms and so zulena with her six children continued farm of the child um which i couldn't imagine like losing your husband having six kids and then also having, at that time, I believe it was 35 children who you were also responsible for. That had to have been a lot on one person's real plate. Um, but she did it and she's a powerhouse. Um, and she's now our president on both the Honduran board and the U.S. board. And she comes down to visit. Um, the kids adore her through and through. Um, and yeah, she's amazing. So that's kind of how the story went. She did not um, proceed to um, open more farm of the childs throughout Central America. Um, Vincent was more the one who had the business degree and knew how to do this. She, he just like fell in love with her in Guatemala and they just like, all of her friends were like, you're going to go to the States and you're going to be so rich. And she's like, that's not her plan. <laughs> like, we're opening a children's home in Guatemala. Um, and she knew that prior to, or he proposed to her, said, pray about this for a month. This is what I want to do. I want to open children's homes in Guatemala and all around Central America. He said, get back to me in a month. And so she went, she prayed about it and it was a yes. So it sounds like then as, as on a farm, you grow crops, the crop grown here is healthy children. Yes. Like, um, so we have a psychologist and a social worker that works on staff and they do um, psych with our kids. And then um, the social worker, if it is possible to reintegrate um, the child with a family member, obviously not with specific family members, depending on the situation. Um, so they will um, reintegrate with certain family members or once they're 18 um, and they age out of our program, they put them in either with like an old house parent's house, they get them into college, they find them a job, like someone trusted um, for them to be in, in a home with instead of um, them ending up on the street or in no better situation than um, what they came from. So yes, the goal is to grow healthy children. We do have a couple little plants and we'll have chickens. And there was a big talk about a goat and a cow, which thank goodness, because we could not have taken on that at the time it was being talked about. Um, but yes, the goal is to just raise healthy children who um, are really resilient and able to bounce back from terrible things that have happened, but um, able to continue on in faith. Thanks for your humility and your courage and your faithfulness. We've all really benefited from hearing you tonight and knowing your ministry even prior to that. So I will pick up with another conversation every third Thursday of the month uh, for digging in. But thanks for being here. We'll give you a Zoom round of applause and first round of applause. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org.
And as you go through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.